Okay, uh, looks like it's uh, 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, thank you for turning on your video, Hina. Good to see you. Uh, welcome everyone uh, to Drisha. This is uh, the fourth and final class in the series on Shemitah in the Mishnah, uh, Challenges and Opportunities with Rabbi Avram uh, Wolfish. Today's class will discuss the subject of uh, Shemitah Ksafim, release of money and its challenges. We encourage everyone uh, to turn on your video if you're able to, so uh, we're able to kind of feel like we're together in a traditional classroom. Uh, also, as always, feel free to ask uh, questions or uh, either by unmuting yourself and uh, verbally asking the question or by writing um, as a comment uh, in the chat box here on Zoom or as a comment if you're watching us uh, live on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you as well. And with that, I'll turn to see you, Rabbi Wolfish. Okay, thank you. Okay, let's share the screen here. Is it working okay for you? Do you need my support? Oh, uh, here we go. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Go. Yay, good. Okay, we have it now. Okay. So, Erev Tov. Um, okay, so nine chapters of Masechet Shvi'it have dealt with the main topics of Shemitah, which relate to which relate to the uh, working of the land, and as we saw in the last several chapters, a uh, kind of segue from working the land into uh, enjoying. The produce of the land, and we talked uh, at some length last time about the connection between those two. Okay, so the nine chapters divide really into two sections one through five, which are working the land, six through nine, uh, where six transitions from working the land to enjoying the fruit, and seven through nine are mostly focused on enjoying the fruit, although as we saw. Um, the connection between these two aspects of Shemitah uh, is alluded to in at several points in the course of chapters six through nine. And now we have a standalone chapter, chapter 10. Okay, so we can be a little, uh, um, a little more relaxed this evening because we have a full hour for just one chapter as opposed to an hour for two, two, three, or four chapters, which is what we've had uh, up till now. Um, and Shmitach uh, Safim, before we look at it in the Mishnah, let's take a look at how it's presented in the Torah. Okay, so um, uh, the main, the, the, the passage in the Torah that talks about Shmitach Safim is in Parashat Re'eh. Okay, the, the uh, sections of the Torah that talk about uh, Shemitah of land, uh, there are two sections, as we saw in Shemot 23 and in Vayikra 25. Ksafim is elsewhere. It's in uh, Dvarim chapter 15, in Parshat Re'eh, towards the end of Parshat Re'eh. And let's read the passage and we'll say some, something about it. As you can see uh, on the source sheet, I've already marked off some key words that, that will give us uh, insight into uh, what the Torah is after 
in this mitzvah of Shemitah Ksafim. Vikait Sheva Shanim Ta'aseh Shemitah. Okay, uh, let's immediately note when we talked about Shemitah Karkaot, the Torah said six years you worked the land and on the seventh year, either you have Shemitah or you have Shabbat Lashem, different terminology and as we saw different emphases about what Shemitah is about. But, but in any event, it's very clear that you have a seven year cycle, six years you work the land, seven, seventh year not. Now at the end of seven years, you make a Shemitah. What goes on during those, uh, d- during the rest of those, of those uh, uh, seven years, which seven years are we talking about? Are we talking about the exact same cycle? We'll come back to address this question in a bit. Okay, this is the matter of the Shemitah, Shamot, okay, to abandon, to release. Okay, now the term Shemitah was used also in Shemot 23 for releasing the land. Releasing the land means that you don't work it. Okay, here we are releasing something else. Kolba al Mashayado, he shall uh, remove his hand, Asher Yashebere Ehu. From what he is, okay, he's trying to collect from his fellow. He should not press his fellow and his brother. Now notice, Re'ehu has now morphed into Achiv. And Achiv is one of those terms that I marked off as a key term here. It, it, by the way, is a key term in general in the book of Dvarim. Okay, it appears much more frequently there than in other books, and it it indicates something about the uh, conception of Jewish society, Israelite society, that the Book of Dvarim is trying trying to present. A, a conception of the society as a society of brothers. Okay, so he goes Hashem, because Shemitah has been declared to Hashem. Kara, who called it? Who declared it? Did God declare it? It says to God. Was God also the one who declared it? It's Karash Mital Hashem, the creditor who is declaring it to be uh, a Shemitah? Or is this perhaps the society? Not, not terribly clear. Okay? Lo yigoset is very clear. Okay? The creditor is not allowed to press the debtor to return the debt. Now, this in a way is, you know, is, is a bit strange. If, if the debt is canceled, so then what would, what would the idea be of pressing him to return it if there is in fact no debt? So there's a, a, a chicken and egg question that arises from this pasuk, okay? And uh, uh, is, it that, is it that the debt was canceled and therefore you shall not press him to return it because effectively the debt has been canceled or since you're not supposed to press him to return the debt, therefore effectively the debt has been canceled. As we'll see, there's a very significant difference between these two readings. And I'll just note in passing that this question has been debated through the ages. 
Okay, in other words, and and not only in uh, not only in exegetical sources, you know, there are commentators on the Torah, but also in halachic sources. Halachic sources have debated the question as to whether shmita is there and we have to observe it, or we create shmita by observing shmita. We in effect we in fact create it. We have this question here in shmita Safim. And there is, uh, as well known in halachic literature, there's a parallel question about Shemitat Chakol, which we won't get into. Okay, but we will discuss some of it, some of the ramifications of this question regarding Shemitat Chakol. Pasuk Gimel, Tanochriti goes. You can press the non-Jewish debtor. But whatever you have, from your brother, you shall release from your hand or remove your hand. Okay, I'm skipping a little bit in that passage, okay, to another relevant passage that we'll be dealing with at some length this evening. Okay, you should be very careful lest there be something evil in your heart. Okay, that says the Shemitah year is coming, is drawing near. And therefore, <clears throat> your, you, you, you will look with a bad eye, with a jaundiced eye at your brother, the poor person. Okay, and you will not give him. And he will call upon you to Hashem. And um, okay, and and uh, and you will have a sin. It will be considered a sin for you. You shall surely give him. Your heart shall not be troubled when you give him, uh, because it is because of this matter that Hashem will. Bless you in all of your actions and, and, and all of your endeavors. Another theme that runs through a good part of Sefer Dvarim, okay, including surrounding passages uh, uh, to this, okay, that when you observe the laws, the laws seem to be laws that curtail your economic activity, your economic benefits. <clears throat> but in fact, these these practices will cause God to bless you, so you will end up benefiting and not losing from uh, uh, from doing so. <clears throat> okay, so um, okay, so now uh, one of the questions here, of course, is why? Why does the Torah prescribe a remission of debts every seven seven years? And what connection might this have with Shmitat Karkaot? Okay, so these, these are the these are the big questions, and these are, are questions that, that will continue <clears throat> to accompany us uh, as we as we go through the Mishnah and, and we'll also be looking at a few parallel sources. <clears throat> okay, but uh, in order to see that, so 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 first a few observations about the passage. Let's start off with uh, what alone is all about in the Torah. 
Okay, and the passage that I skipped over, it makes it very clear, but it's already alluded to in Pasuk Tet, person who's asking for a loan is somebody poor. Okay, now we always have to remember that because we today don't think of loans as necessarily for poor people. Loans can be for middle-class people, right? Uh, most people, when they buy a house, okay, or, or, or an apartment, they take out a mortgage, that's a loan, okay? That doesn't mean that they are not well off, but it means that uh, they don't have the fabulous sums of money that are required to purchase real estate, okay? So in order to purchase the real estate, they take a bank loan, okay? And that doesn't in any way indicate their, their social standing. Wealthy people take loans, okay? Well, a wealthy person wants to go into you know, a big business venture, and he's got some of his own capital, but he doesn't have enough capital to go into a business venture on the scale that he's interested in. So he'll take a bank loan, okay? So for us, you know, anybody and everybody uh, might might be in a position to, to, to be taking a loan. In the Torah, a loan means one thing and one thing only. The person who takes a loan is a poor person. And that, in fact, when the Torah talks about giving charity, charity in the Torah means to give a loan, okay? To give an outright gift to the poor is not something you find in the Torah. I don't know if that means it never happened, but it's not what the Torah prescribes. There's a poor person, what you should do is give him a loan. But since it's a poor person, okay, and you're, you're, you're supporting him by giving him the loan, so then the Torah has, uh, has clear restrictions on what, you, what, what you're allowed to do with that loan. So for example, you're not allowed to take interest, okay? Today, it, it, it's inconceivable to us that, that, that a loan would not bear interest. And that's why most loans uh, you know, today, if you know, for, for, for religious Jews, so you'll make sure there's a heteriska that, that gives you a, a, a way of circumventing, uh, circumventing the prohibition of, of uh, taking interest. And by the way, there's also a prohibition against giving interest. Okay, borrowing on interest is also prohibited. Paying back a loan with interest is, is prohibited. Okay, so you avoid that with heteriska. But that's, again, because today we conceive of loans as part of the business world. Okay, but... but uh, uh, at the time of the Torah, okay, loan meant the way you support the poor. So you certainly do not want to take interest. And you do want to remit those loans uh, every seven years. Now, every seven years, you sort of give him a chance to start afresh. For seven years, okay, he's been, he's been borrowing money so that he can keep his head afloat above water. But then he has to scramble in order to pay it back. Okay, so he's a poor person. It's hard for him to pay back these loans. So every seven years, you give him the opportunity to wipe the slate clean and, and, and start afresh. Okay, and that's part of what the Torah does in order to help get a poor person, uh, get a poor person on, uh, uh, on his feet. Okay, now uh, that already can give us some insight into how Shmita uh, of land and Shmita of, of loans can, 
work together. Because one of the main themes that we saw about Shemitah uh, uh, of the land is to open up the fields to everyone, including the poor. That can give the poor the, the you know, free, free reign to wander through my fields and gardens and, and to, uh, okay, and to uh, uh, take what they need from there. Again, not in huge amounts, but to take in small amounts what they need. And they're equal in that regard to everyone else. So by the same token, um, uh, the same way that Shemitah is a way of, of uh, leveling the society, equalizing the different sectors of the society. So Shemitah Ksafim carries that through, uh, uh, carries that through uh, uh, as well. Okay, and, um, and uh, uh, this I think would be a good opportunity to uh, move down to um, the midrashic halacha, uh, the, the halachic midrash on uh, on the book of Dvarim, from a Tanaitic period, called the Sifrei. Okay, so the Sifrei has a discussion about at the end of seven years. So, uh, so the midrash asks, okay, anyone who needs can follow along in the in the English here, but I'll read it in the Hebrew. Maybe seven years means for each individual. In other words, each individual will lend out, will lend out money, and at the end of seven years, uh, whatever loans haven't been paid back, he will have to release. But not that there is a general shmita year for everyone for shmitat ksafim. So you have seven years for Shemitah. Now Shemitah means Shemitah land, Shemitah Karkol. And you also have Sheva Shanim B'milveh, Ma Sheva Shanim Amor B'Shemitah, Sheva Shanim L'Chol HaOlam, Av Sheva Shanim Amor B'milveh, Sheva Shanim L'Chol HaOlam. Okay, so this Midrash already uh, connects Shemitah Ksafim to Shemitah, to Shemitah Karkaot, and says that that you learn the one from the other, okay? And if you're learning one from the other, it indicates that, that Chazal understand that these two are somehow interrelated, okay? Now, a further observation about how they might be interrelated, and interestingly, there's something the Mishnah will not address, but we'll, 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 we'll make this observation before getting into the Mishnah, is that Shmitak Safim is Miket Shavashani. Shmitat Karkaot is during the seventh year. Shmitat Ksafim is at the end of seven years, which is understood. This is certainly the way we halachically understand it, although there are one or two uh, authorities who thought otherwise, but the general understanding, and this is the simple reading of the Pasuk as well, is at the end of the seventh year, that's when yeah, that's when we have our Ashmitat Ksafim. I think this already gives us a certain picture of how the Shemitah of land and the Shemitah of, of loans okay, are, are working together. The Shemitah of land is the entire seventh year. Shemitah Karka means during the seventh year, I renounce my 
ownership of the land, my management of the land. I don't work the land. I don't gather the produce in the normal fashion. Okay, the land is sort of taken out of my direct possession. It becomes, as it were, public property. It becomes, as in a certain sense, divine property. I'm recognizing uh, its, its connection to God, okay, and, and the sovereignty of God over Eretz Israel. Okay, the Shmitat Safim, in a sense, carries that idea over into the eighth year. Because at the end of the Shemitah year, okay, at the end of the Shemitah year, I say, now is when I forgive the debts. And if I see how the two sort of function together, the seventh year as a, as a unit, the entire seventh year gives the poor a kind of respite, as opposed to the landowners who control everything and the poor who have nothing. <clears throat> we now have a year in which everything is, is in a sense, public property, and the poor have an equal share with everyone else. And at the end of that year is when their debts are remitted so that they can now start the next Shemitah cycle on an equal footing with everybody else. They don't have, they're not staggering under a heavy load of debts that they have to repay. And that means that as the next Shemitah cycle starts, Okay, you've given them an opportunity for a fresh start. Okay, uh, with the hope that by the next, by the end of this Shemitah cycle, maybe they'll be on their feet and they and they won't have the same needs that that, that they had earlier. Okay. Uh, okay. Now let, let's look at the let's look at the at the language here in the Torah. So we already noted the word achiv. Okay, and that, that's a key word here as, as elsewhere in the book of Barim. And that gives us already an insight into what Shemitah is about. Okay, if I regard the, uh, if I regard the recipient of the loan, not just as my fellow, but as my brother, obviously it disposes me to deal more kindly with him, to, you know, to go beyond well, the, the, the way people normally interact. When I lend money, I expect it to be returned. Rabbi Welfish, uh, yeah. uh, just a quick question. Uh, somebody in the chat is asking if you can scroll the text specifically to the part that you are discussing right now. Is that possible? Um, yeah, right now it is. It is oh, scrolled. it is. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. Okay, it's scrolled uh, right. The, 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 the passage in the Torah, okay? If you can see my cursor, it's this passage here. Um, Okay, so um, okay, so that already gives us uh, an insight into it. Okay, but I think there are another couple of points that uh, uh, that, that 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 the Torah focuses uh, us on through another couple of, of of key phrases here. Okay, so one of them is kikarash mital Hashem in in the first part of the passage. In Pasuk Bet and in Pasuk Tet, the Kara Alecha El Hashem. Okay, so when the Torah tells me to remit the debt, it says because Shmita was called for God. And when the person fails to give the debt because he says, well, Shmita's coming up. If I lend him the money, it'll never get returned. So he will call out to God 
against you and it will be reckoned for you as a sin. Okay, so now that already indicates, and this again echoes Shemitah Karkaot, that Shemitah is on behalf of God. Okay, that's what we had in Vayikra regarding Shabbat Lashem, regarding Shemitah Karkaot. That's what we have regarding, regarding the loans. And, and perhaps the idea here is the same way that the land is regarded as not really mine. The land ultimately belongs to God. I'm the custodian of the land. So for six years, my, my stewardship of the land is as though I were the owner. But every seventh year, okay, I renounce that and treat the land as belonging to God. So here, we're relating to money in the same way. Because all of my possessions ultimately are not really mine. Okay, I am the custodian of the, uh, of the possessions. God granted them to me in order to also help others. So when I help others with it, then, you know, then, then God is happy. When I fail in that obligation, so then, okay, Shemitah Lashem intervenes and says, renounce it, let him keep it. And if I fail to do that, he will call out to God and God will remind me that I am not really ultimately master of my own property. Okay, and now perhaps the most interesting word is the word I, I marked off here, uh, you know, with the blue background, lo ye ghosts, that's an unusual word. Okay, lo ye ghosts. Okay, he shall not, press the 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 uh the debtor to, to to return the money now this word is is an unusual word and it appears in the torah in another connection inter interestingly in parashat shavua okay in parashat shmot okay at the end of the parsha okay when uh when pharaoh is enraged by, by the demand, let my people go. So Paro okay, then decrees, um, they will not get stubble to put into their bricks any longer. Okay, They'll have to collect their own stubble and they still have to produce the same number of bricks daily. And now the Torah says, v'hanogsim atzim lemor. The Nogsim, the taskmasters, okay, the taskmasters were pressing them, okay, you're not meeting your quotas, meet your quotas, okay, and then the next pasuk, okay, the officers of B'nai Israel, okay, uh, B'nai Israel had their own workforce men who were subject to the Nogsim, okay, they were beaten. Okay, the Nogsim, okay, were the Egyptian taskmasters appointed uh, Israelite taskmasters, okay, to, okay, and they you know, were beaten because the quotas were not being met. So we have here, I, I think, a very clear message as to what it means, Lingos. Okay, Lingos is a taskmaster, but not just any taskmaster, a taskmaster over slaves. A taskmaster 
who can make unreasonable demands, a taskmaster who can beat uh, the slaves who are not living up to expectations. So when the Torah tells the tells the 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 the, the lender, okay, lo ye ghosts, don't be a no gaze. He's saying, don't be a taskmaster. Okay, and what he's really reflecting is that a debtor is in a way a kind of slave. And that in fact is a theme that comes up in Tanakh and is echoed in Chazal. Pasuk in Mishlei, Ashir Berashim, okay, you see it here on the screen, Ashir Berashim Yimshol, the Eved Lovel the the, the wealthy person rules over the poor, the Rashim. And Eved Loveh, a Loveh, a borrower, is a slave, Leish Malveh, to, to, the, to the creditor. He's a slave. Okay, interestingly, in the, the Hebrew word for a lien, a lien on property is Shiabud, which literally means uh, subjugation, enslavement, okay? When you owe money, you are a slave, okay? And in biblical times, and even after biblical times, until not that long ago, even in the Western world, okay, um, uh, this, this could be quite, quite literal, okay? In, in the biblical world, uh, if a debtor uh, defaulted on his on his loan. Okay, very often the creditor would enslave him. So Eved Lovelish is a metaphoric statement, but it, it verges very much on being literal. You know, that would very often happen. Okay, up until I guess I would guess uh, the 19th century, such a thing as debtor's prison. Okay, so that that wouldn't be enslavement, but but something not that far removed from it. If you can't uh, meet your debts, okay, so you're, you're, you're thrown into prison, okay? And so uh, uh, the term lo ye ghost reflects this attitude. And in that sense, what the seventh year is doing is freeing, okay, freeing the poor people from their enslavement, okay? It was by, by Sort of putting it's not just putting them back on their feet economically, it's freeing them from enslavement, from subjugation. And that's a theme that runs through many mitzvot that are built around the number seven. You have it in Shabbat, which is Zecher Litzat Mitzrayim. Okay, and you can see it in Shemitah, and, and you can see it, okay, and you can see it, you have it obviously in the seventh year when the slaves and the Jewish slaves have to go free, and, and, and I think you can see it reflected in this passage as well. Okay, let's move on now to the, to the Mishnah, and we'll see how some of these ideas that, that we found in the Torah play out in the Mishnah. Okay, so let's first of all just get an overview of the chapter. Okay, I'll, I'll read it in the Hebrew, whoever needs can follow it along in the English. Okay, so uh, the difference normally in halacha between 
a loan that has a, a contract and a loan without a contract, generally speaking, the difference between them is whether, uh, is whether there is um, uh, a lien on, uh, on the property, okay? Because uh, when there's a contract, so then we assume that it's public knowledge, okay? It's out in the public record that, that this loan was made and therefore the, the debtor is entitled to collect from, uh, uh, from real property Okay, that uh, uh, that has a lien on it. Okay, as opposed to a loan without a contract, we say uh, the if someone purchases the land um, after the debt was incurred, okay, he has no way of knowing that that this uh, uh, that this property has a lien on it. He can't protect himself, and therefore he's uh, the the debtor is not entitled to collect. Okay, so what we're saying is even when it's a loan with a contract, which means that the debtor, as it were, he has a lien, the same way the debt is canceled, the lien is also canceled, okay? But, okay, you buy something in the store on credit, Shemitah doesn't affect it, why not? Because Shemitah affects loans, not business transactions. If I owe somebody, money because of a business transaction, that's not the same thing as a loan. And so the loans are canceled, obligations incurred as a result of business transactions are not. The But sometimes, let's say I'll buy something on credit and then when I'm supposed to pay, I'll come and, and, and I'll tell the store owner, listen, I can't pay you right now, but let me take that money now as a loan and, uh, and I'll repay you in another three months. Okay, so then what started out as, an, as a business obligation has morphed into a, uh, a loan and we treat it as such and Shemitah will apply to it. Okay, this note in passing that Mishnah here is doing what we see so frequently in Mishnah, it's fine tuning and it's translating it into practice. Loan is a very broad term. So the Mishnah is fine-tuning it. Loan means loan. It doesn't mean monetary obligation. It's monetary obligation that is defined halachically as a loan and not defined halachically as a, uh, as a business obligation. Okay, I'm skipping a bit. Again, a work obligation, okay? Someone did work for me, I owe him money. That's not a loan. There again, I can transform it. And now a very interesting comment at the end of, the, of this Mishnah, Rabbi Yosei Omer, Rabbi Yosei says, it doesn't depend necessarily on whether you transformed it into a loan. It depends upon whether the work that was done, right? Because I'm a, I'm a laborer. I worked in the, I, I, I did work for the, for the homeowner, okay? And, the, and he owes me money, okay? Now, if the work that I did for him, let's say is a building job, 
Okay, so then, uh, since during the Shemitah year, I can also build, I can build houses during Shemitah, no problem with that. So since I could have done that work during Shemitah, so at the end of the Shemitah year, it still remains a, a work-based obligation. But if I was a laborer in his field, I worked in his field during the sixth year. So he owes me money. And during the seventh year, I didn't manage to collect that money. Since during the seventh year, I couldn't have continued doing that work because working the fields is prohibited during Shemitah. That automatically becomes a loan. And, okay, it automatically becomes a loan and is canceled at the end of the Shemitah. Okay, so interestingly, okay, Rabbi Yose, and this is a pattern we'll see following through later on, Rabbi Yose already at the beginning of the chapter is connecting Shemitat Ksafim to Shemitat Karkaot. And he's telling us that the, that whether or not a certain type of monetary obligation will be canceled, Shemitat Ksafim, okay, will depend in certain cases on whether the way in which the obligation was created was something that was or was not permitted uh, during the Shemitah year because of Shemitat Karkaot. Okay, so the Mishnah is already linking up Shemitat Ksafim the Shemitat Karkaot on a technical halachic level. Okay, we'll see other levels of connection uh, a bit further on. Okay, now we have uh, other cases. Okay, I have the what kinds of monetary obligations are canceled. So you have here, again, if a person slaughters a cow and distributes it to others, okay, so then, okay, uh, uh, that would can also create Obligations, that's another kind of a business deal, although this is a more like a domestic deal and not a not a marketplace, uh, not a marketplace deal. Also, other kinds of okay, these are penalties imposed upon a person by a court, no shmita for such penalties. Again, these are not loans. These are penalties imposed by a court, and therefore they are not mishamim. And now we come at the end to something that will be very central in the next section. Hamalvel hamashkon, Okay, a person who lends with surety, okay, with uh, collateral. Okay, so mashkon is collateral. You lend with collateral. Or if you hand over your contracts to a court, then there is no Shemitah. Okay? Well, uh, uh, hand over your contracts to a court, okay, means that you are appointing the court to collect on your behalf. Now, what, what exactly that means is, uh, uh, is an interesting question. Okay? Uh, I'm putting this up on the screen. Uh, anyone who is following the source sheets that I sent out, the, the, this you won't find this on those source sheets. Okay, so you'll have to look at this on the screen. Um, okay, uh, um, 
Shmuel and Zev Safrai, two historians who wrote a commentary on many Mishnah tractates, including Shvi'it, okay? So they suggest three different ways of understanding Moser Shtarot One of them is entrusting contracts to courts as legal fiction. We'll put that aside for now. We'll come back to it. A second reading is that courts are a town council. Courts is a, okay, it's not really courts. It's really a town council, okay? The Greek word for that is boule. We'll see why that's important in a bit. One of whose functions was to serve as a collection agency for debts. Or three, as part of expansion of functions of rabbinic courts in Mishnaic times, sometimes loans were contracted before courts in order to underscore their validity and enhance their enforceability. Okay, so here are three models. Okay, we'll, we'll be returning to some of these points a bit, a bit further on. Okay, but what's important for us right now is that you are not collecting, okay? And, and therefore there's no Shemitah. Okay, now what, 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 what's the source for this idea Okay, let's go back and look at the Sifrei. Okay. Va'asher yiyelecha et achicha tashmet yadecha. That's the pasuk in Dvarim. Velo shel achicha biyadecha. When I have to collect from him, that's not permissible. But when his property is in my possession already, then that's not a problem. Mikana ta'omer ha'malvel ha'mashkon why? Because let's remember how the Torah formulated Shemitah. Lo ye ghosts. I can't press him to pay me. When his collateral is sitting in my possession, I don't have to press him to pay me. On the contrary, he's going to chase after me because he wants to pay me in order to redeem his collateral. Okay, so therefore, since since his property is already in my hand and I don't have to press him to pay it. So therefore, Shemitah doesn't apply to this. <clears throat> now, what about Moser Shtarotav Beveitin? Et achicha tashmet yadecha velo Moser Shtarotav Beveitin. Okay, again, I cannot press my brother, but the court is like an objective body. Okay, the court, okay, one individual can't press his fellow, his brother, to repay him. But the court can come and say, listen, you owe him money, you've got to pay. Okay, that completely transforms the character, the character of the, of the loan. Okay, so here, uh, towards the end of the first section of the chapter, we have two categories of types. These are real loans. These are not monetary obligations that were incurred through work, through business, through a penalty uh, imposed by the court. This is a real loan. But if the loan includes collateral, if the loan was handed over to the court for collection, then there's no Shemitah. And this then leads right into Prusbul. Okay, Prusbul is you know, very well known, very well known uh, uh, a Takana of Hillel Azakain. We'll see it described here in this Mishnah. 
Well, let, let's just talk about the meaning of the word. Pros, bowl, okay, is from the Greek. Pros, in front of. Bowl is the word boule. Boule is the word that we saw earlier as the town council. <clears throat> and sometimes <clears throat> the, the term court can be a reference to the town council, the leadership of the town. So pros bully before the council. Okay, so that's what, that's what the term literally means, before the council. Okay, so Hillel saw that uh, as the Shemitah year was approaching, the rich were not lending to the poor, and what bothers him about this is that they're violating the Torah. Okay, uh, and, and it's interesting. Is the Prusbul designed to help the poor or to help the rich? What would you say? Uh, Ruth, uh, if you're speaking, Ruth, you're, you're muted. First, I said one thing, then I said the other, but it's, if it's enforcing the, it's enforcing the loan, so it sounds like he has to pay it back, but it is protecting the poor because it allows for the loan to go forward in the first place. Uh-huh, okay, uh, good. Uh, okay, so you can say it's, you I think know, it's, it's enforcing the loan on behalf of the rich. At the same time, you could argue that it's that it's uh, you know that it's uh, really uh, on, on on behalf of the poor themselves because uh, uh, if not for this, then the rich wouldn't actually be lending out. Yes, uh, Bill, what what did you want to add? I just agreed that the the second part of that was the main point of Prisbol was that people wouldn't get loans close to the seventh year. So it enabled them to continuous flow of loans to be available to them. So it's mainly for the poor, I thought. Yeah, okay. And it occurred to me that it's for the rich. Okay, now uh, let me challenge both of these presentations based on the language of the Mishnah. What bothered Hillel about the situation before the Prusbul? What bothered him was not that the poor were suffering by not getting the loans. What bothered him was not that the rich were unable to retrieve their loans. What bothered him was that the rich were violating what it says in the Torah. He is protecting the rich people from violating a mitzvah lotaseh in the Torah. The Torah specifically says, I know what you rich people are going to say as the as the Shemitah year of, uh, approaches. You're going to say, why should I lend it out if I'm not going to get it back? Well, guess what, says the Torah? Don't say that. That's terrible. You, you, it will, he will call out to God and you will sin. 
So Hillel is saving the rich from themselves. They're about to do a terrible thing to themselves by not lending out the property. It's as though God is saying, I'll take care of the poor. Don't worry about that. But you rich, you had your opportunity to be part of the solution. You insisted on being part of the problem. You're going to suffer. Okay? That's what Hillel effectively is doing. Now, uh, that's what the mission actually says. Does the Mishnah have these other ideas in mind, you know, the back of its mind? I suspect that yes. Now, this is not just an academic discussion, by the way. It comes up in later halachic sources because if Hillel is trying to protect a mitzvah of the Torah, then this would have the halachic status of a gzerah. And if, on the other hand, this is a social institution to help the smooth functioning of society, to protect the poor and not you know, impugn the rights of the rich, okay, so then that would be called a takana. Now, the Mishnah uses the term, it's king. But if it's based on protecting the Torah, it would sound like a gzerah, this can have halachic ramifications. And in fact, uh, halachic authorities debate whether this in fact is a gzerah or is a takana, or as I suspect, both. As I suspect that the Mishnah understands we all have figured out that prosbol is good for the rich in the sense that they get back, okay? We also have figured out that if it's inducing the rich to, to go through with the loans, it's good for the poor. But the Mishnah says, besides those things, let me throw in something else that to my mind is more important than both of them. I suspect that the Mishnah has all of these in mind. But I, but I think it's interesting to, to you know, uh, the, the Mishnah is raising the question. I'm not sure it's giving us a clear answer. I mean, it seems to be giving us a clear but surprising answer. And my suspicion is that the answers that were understood, you know, and that are less surprising are, are you know, are floating around in the background as well. Okay, now let's look at how the Prusbul works. Zel gufo shel Prusbul. Okay, I am giving to the you two Dayanim, Ploni Ploni is two. Okay, there are two listed here. Okay, I am giving over to you that any loan that is owed to me, I will collect it whenever I like. And either the judges or the witnesses sign. Okay, now, at first glance, this seems to be just an application of Moser Shtarotav Levitin, right? Isn't that exactly what Moser Shtarotav Levitin means? You hand over your contracts, your loan contracts to Beitin, and they collect on your behalf. Here also, you stand before, okay, you write a contract to Beitin saying, I am giving over to you that any loan that is owed to me, I will collect, and you sign on it. Is this the same thing as Moser Shtarotav Beitin? Okay. Well, can I, 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 can I take, why don't we take a guess? 
Yeah, go ahead. Well, one is for loans you've already made. The other is for loans you haven't made yet. Okay, that's possibly true. It's not, not entirely clear about the Puzbul, whether it applies to loans I gave already or to loans I haven't yet given. So that, that's a possible difference. But I think there's a bigger difference. It's very subtle, okay? In the language, it's subtle. But if you read it carefully, I think, I think it becomes clear. There's a bigger difference. When I give over, yes. I, so this whole thing doesn't make any sense. I thought that, I, I always thought the prosbul was the I, the loner, um, designating the, the court as my agent and they are the collectors. This one says, I may collect it at any time I wish. What? Great, great. Okay, very good. Now, notice another very subtle change. Look at the term moser. Okay, in the previous Mishnah, it said moser shtarot you hand over the shtarot to the court. And now, in this Mishnah, I am giving over to you the court. What am I giving over to you? I'm giving over to you information. It doesn't say that I give them any star. I don't take my star and physically convey it to them. I convey to them information. So Moser has undergone a shift, okay? And that's why, that's why th there's some who think that the whole idea of Moser Shartav Lebetin is a legal fiction, okay? Let's go back again. What we had from Safrai, entrusting contracts to courts never really happened. It was a legal fiction. In, in real life, nobody ever did it. But during the Shemitah year, they created this legal fiction that I could appoint a court to be a collection agent. And now Safrai are not sure of this. They say it might be that they really did perform such a function. But it might be, they say, that that itself is a legal fiction. Okay, and there are earlier authorities who suggest that, that Moser Shortav Levitin, Rashi, thinks that Moser Shortav Levitin was part and parcel of the Takanav Prusbul. But regardless of whether Moses Shortav Levitin is a real, uh, a, a real legal reality or not, Prusbul takes giving over your contracts to Beitin a huge step further because all I'm doing is declaring before Beitin, I don't give them a contract. I write a separate piece of paper where I say, I hereby inform the court that I will collect it whenever I like. So the court is the collection agency, but who does the court send to actually carry out? Court sends me. And when does the court send me? Kozman whenever I like. I don't have to come to the court and say to them, oh, do I have your permission to go and collect it? No. I am informing the court whenever I want, I will collect it as your emissary. 
Okay, so this is a very, very radical takana. Uh, okay, now there are legal fictions and there are legal fictions. This legal fiction was something that later Chachamim were very upset by. Okay, let's take a look in uh, a brief look at the Talmudic discussion of this in the Bavli. A similar discussion in the Yerushalmi, the Bavli is more stark. It starts off by saying, Can there be such a thing? Now, this is not the first rabbinic takana or even rabbinic suspension of, of biblical law, but the Gemara seems more upset about it here than elsewhere. And Abaye says, the Brayta is talking about sabbatical year in the present, which follows the opinion of Rabbi Yudan Nasi that it is only rabbinic. It's only a rabbinic law in the present. And therefore, uh, Hillel was suspending a rabbinic law, not a Torah law. But continuing later on in the Gemara, Shmuel said, Amar Shmuel, I'm reading from the top line here on the screen, Amar Shmuel, Aprusbula Ulbana de Daine. This prose ball is an ulbana of the judges. Ulbana means, means an insult. It's an insult to the judges. If my strength increases, I will nullify it. Said, I wish I had the power to nullify this prose ball. It's scandalous. This is a scandal, this prose ball. Okay, and when we look closely at how the prose ball works, we can really understand why they were so upset by it. Because this is a legal fiction that really stretches our credulity to the breaking point. Okay, so, okay, so, uh, so Hillel has effectively canceled, uh, canceled Shemitah by instituting the Prus Bull, which makes all of Shemitah Ksafim into a, seemingly into a dead letter. Okay. But I do want to explain why I think in the end he's not making it into a dead letter. But first, let's look at the end of the chapter in the Mishnah. Let's say a, a borrower decides he wants to pay up anyway. Borrower comes, he offers to pay up his loan. And so the debtor is supposed to say to him, no, no, I'm releasing you. But if he insists, no, 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 I insist. I know you, you're releasing me. I insist. I want to pay you. Then that's acceptable. Why? When the Torah says, the word dvar, we translate as matter. But the word davar can also mean word. This is the word of the Shemitah. It's enough for Shemitah to express it verbally. Okay, in other words, when he comes and offers to pay me, and I say, Mishametani, okay, then I have performed my mitzvah. And then if I collect the loan afterwards, it's fine. The Talmud discussing this goes so far as to say, okay, goes so far as to say that the creditor is permitted 
to lift his eyes to him, hopefully as well, until the debtor says this, that he gives it as a gift. But the initiative may come from, from, the, from the creditor, okay? In other words, okay? Um, in other words, it's not just that I say to him, Mishametani, and wait for him to say, no, 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 I insist. I say to him, Mishametani, and he starts to walk away. I put my hand on his shoulder, okay, and say to him, isn't there something you wanted to say to me at this point? Okay, did, did, didn't you have something in mind? Okay, now that's Zedivar Hashmita. It's enough for me to verbally release him from pain. Okay, now I want to talk about why in the end, even though on a formal level, on a technical level, it seems that Chazal have effectively erased Shmitak Safim. And by the way, there's a reason that they effectively erased Shmitak Safim, because by the time of Chazal, debts no longer meant just a rich person and a poor person. You saw that already in the first, first few Mishnayot to talk about different kinds of debts that can be incurred. Okay? And, and yeah, some of them are incurred through business transactions. Some of them are incurred, incurred through other kinds of social interaction. Okay, and, de and, and loans at the time of Chazal don't always have to be between the rich person and the poor person. Okay, and therefore, Chazal already saw the need to, to restructure this whole idea. So when they restructured it, they in effect canceled it both when they said that they're expecting, okay, the last mission of the chapter. When you return a loan during the Shemitah year, the spirit of the sages is pleased with him. In other words, we expect the borrower to want to pay. We expect the, the creditor to verbally refuse to accept it. And then to expect the, 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 uh, the, the debtor to insist on paying it anyway. And he may be even to exert some subtle or not so subtle pressure on him in order to do so. Okay? And Hillel cancels it wholesale by creating, by creating the Prusbul. So does that leave anything left of this idea of Shemitat Ksafim? So I want to argue that it does, because let's go back to the passage in the Torah. The Torah places the onus of canceling the debt on the, on the creditor, right? On the lender, not on the borrower. Okay, the Torah doesn't really cancel the debt. The debt is there. The Torah tells the creditor we don't want you leaning on the borrower. We don't want you oppressing him. We don't want you subjugating him by insisting that he pay. Okay, because the relationship between a borrower and a lender is a, is a relationship between a taskmaster and a slave. By even just verbally acknowledging that there is such a thing as Shemitah, we have redressed that balance. Because the bottom line is that 
A, if there is no proves bull, the lender has the initiative. I can't approach him, he has to approach me. And I have to start off by at least verbally you know, releasing him. And he again has to agree to give me. So if he's really that badly, that sorely pressed, he won't carry through with it and it'll be fine. Okay, so by the fact that we've, you know, we, we, by just working through this kind of shadow boxing, you know, dancing around the fact that I expect him to pay, but I can't force him to pay. But that already means that when he pays, he's paying out of his free will and not as a slave. So that already has released him in a certain sense from slavery. And this, the Prusbul does the same thing. Just the very fact that I involve the court, okay, and say, oh, I'm not approaching you as an individual to whom you owe money. I'm approaching you as a court. I am an emissary of the court. Okay, that's a legal fiction. It's not a reality. But even by just doing that, we have given acknowledgement, at least in principle, to the idea, uh, uh, we've given acknowledgement, at least in principle, to the idea okay, that the Torah wants to see him as a free agent. The Torah does not want to see him enslaved by the debt. And let me now just conclude by talking about, okay, uh, uh, we didn't, I, I, I wasn't able to work in some of the interesting connections between Shemitah Ksafim and Shemitah land, but let's look briefly at the contrast, and I think this will uh, give us a, a nice overview of what we've seen in our travels through the Masech. When it comes to Shemitah of land, as we saw, one of the main themes of Shemitah of land was how we deal with the people who violate it. Okay, because as we saw, that's endemic. Shemitah is a very hard mitzvah to fulfill. And therefore, many people violated it. And much of Masechet Shvi'it talks about how the society handles them. And the Mishnah tries to walk a fine line. On the one hand, to acknowledge that people who are transgressing the law are in fact transgressing the law. We are not according it legitimacy. We are not recognizing their right to violate the law. And we distance ourselves from them. When we do various actions in the field, even permitted actions, we do it in such a way as to make it abundantly clear that we are not Shemitah transgressors. We are not violating the law. Okay. At the same time, and we continue to maintain relationships. We can't support them, help them, but we can maintain cordial relations with them. We can have interactions. We can, we can sell them items that are most probably going to be used for prohibited uses, as long as they might possibly be used for permitted use. So the Mishnah walks a tightrope. On the one hand, to maintain our distinction from those who are transgressing. On the other hand, to continue to interact with them, continue 
to maintain a single society in which we can continue to interact while protecting our integrity as Shemitah observers. And now in our chapter, again, we have Shemitah violators. But how does our chapter address the Shemitah violators? Here again, we have Ovrin They are violating, same word as that, that was a key word in so much of the Masechet. But in this case, what did the Mishnah do? The Mishnah said, the Allah is going to accommodate the Shemitah violators. We are not going to insist on maintaining the Shemitah and just find some way of continuing to maintain cordial relations. In this case, what the, what the Mishnah does is to say, Shemitah Ksafim is just impracticable in our society. So what we're going to do is we're going to meet the Shemitah violators nine-tenths of the way towards their side. And what we're going to do is we're going to transform it into a legal fiction. We're going to acknowledge the idea of Shemitat Ksafim while basically uh, uh, removing it from practice. So we won't be practicing it, but at the same time, we will try to acknowledge the idea so at, at least we'll understand the message of Shemitat Ksafim will be maintained, even if in practice, we won't actually be following it. I thank you all for your attention throughout the series. I've enjoyed uh, teaching it. It was an interesting challenge to fit a 10 chapter tractate into four sessions. I, I hope uh, uh, hope you all got, got something out of the classes and batslacha uh, to all. Uh, uh, good meeting you and really interesting learning with you. Uh, this was a really great final session uh, to the series. And thank you so much, uh, everyone who joined us today, not only here on uh, Zoom, but also on uh, Facebook and Drisha Live. Uh, again, thank you so much. Uh, and if, can we just have the updated store sheet? I think you said you had something. Yeah, sure. That sure, would be absolutely. good. But thank you. This was yes, great. I'll send it out. Great. Yeah, this was wonderful. <laughs> Okay, we, uh, we will go live again uh, tomorrow, Tuesday uh, evening at 8 p.m. with the final, another final class in a series on covenantal uh, commandment, the sabbatical year in the Bible with Rabbi Silber. And uh, in addition, you can always find more information about class offerings on our website, www.drisha.org slash classes. And you can watch recordings of uh, uh all the classes that, that are uh, live, uh, this class uh, with Rabbi Wolfish and other classes uh, on uh, www.drisha.org slash live. Uh, thank you again for this uh, opportunity to learn with you, Rabbi Wolfish. And thank you for sending us the updated sheet so we can make sure to email it uh, to everyone. And thanks again to everyone who uh, joined us. We really hope to see you at uh, another upcoming class here at Drisha. Can Have I ask one today. question, Rabbi Wolfish? Yes, yeah, sure. If um, what's do you have? Um, is there one? Is there a piece you've written that best describes your methodology, or is it in what you've written we see your methodology? Do you have a? You know what I'm saying? Yes. Uh, 
I, I think probably the, the, the most uh, uh, accessible uh, presentation of my methodology would be uh, on the uh, Iyun Mishnah website. Okay. Okay, the Iyun uh, Mishnah website. I, I also have uh, you know, some more programmatic uh, articles. If, if you have access to academia.edu, yeah. Okay, so uh, I have an article there called The Poetics of Mishnah, which, which gives a, a kind of programmatic introduction. All right, great. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Okay, thanks, everyone. Lehitraot.